Hello, Hive Nation, and welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, and evolve. Now, here's JB to introduce one of our favorite return guests. Hey, thanks, Greg. Yeah, you're right. And so today being Bell Let's Talk Mental Health Day, uh, we have our friend from down under, Mr. Bill Carson, uh, on the program again today. Bill uh, is a friend of the program. We've had him on a few times here now, and every time it's just amazing conversations around, uh, you know, mental health, mental health, excuse me, <laughs> mental health and the um, the ability to have those type of conversations. And Bill actually made a, wrote a book around it called Safe Conversations for Work and Life. So, um Bill, first of all, thanks again for being back on the program. Mm, thank you, guys. Yes, it's a, an absolute pleasure. It's great seeing you again, Bill, too. Thanks a lot. Um, so I, I just want to jump into it here with you, Bill. Um, why why did you write a book around having conversations for work and for personal life? Mm, good. Thanks, guys. Um well, fundamentally, as as per the title, uh, safe uh, conversations. One of the really significant things that we struggle with all you know everywhere is often the lack of safety that's associated with being able to talk about ourselves. You know, when things are struggling a little bit, and everything, every one of us goes through you know difficult uh, situations, and specifically, this uh, book is written for very much for managers, uh, but then also it's relevant for, you know, team members and, you know, people in general, but, but particularly managers, because often what happens in the work situation is there's, again, a lot of uh, stigma associated with mental, mental, emotional health. And one of the key themes that I've learned and, you know, in teaching hundreds and hundreds of managers how to have these skills, that they're essentially... Uh, manager empathy skills and uh, empathy is a we know that it's incredibly important but it's often quite difficult to do uh and and you know we know of emotional intelligence and we know of all of those other really important themes but how do you actually do empathy in such a way that you know particularly in a work situation you're maintaining that kind of appropriate sort of manager uh team member relationship and not get caught up in this stuff, you know, not be afraid of saying the wrong thing, not, you know, trying to give advice, solve problems. And these are really challenging um, issues for, for managers to have in the workplace. So that's that's one of the big reasons why I've written the book. Um, I'm going to I'm going to steal a, a question out of here uh, as per uh, page 19. Why are mental health conversations often scary? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I well, let's kind of how I engage in a conversation from your own personal experience. You know, Jason or Greg, what what have you thought? Uh, what have been your own experiences around uh, mental health conversations? Oh, for sure. Like you know, before back in the day when I was maybe a little bit more timid, which. Not sure if I was timid day three out of the womb or day four, but uh, <laughs> but you know, just like to 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 actually have the ability to open up as a man, like you know, without being judged, like oh, you're just a you know, you're just a wussy or whatever. You know, that's that's probably like as a as a man, yeah. that's you know one of the scariest things as being judged, right? Like yeah. you know that that's. That's that's not a man's problem. That's somebody else's problem. You know what I mean? Like uh, that that's probably one of the scariest ones for me, Bill, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, I'll short story. Uh, it's a longer one, but I'll make it short. When I was in university, I was part of the student governing body, vice president, I was president. I was dealing with a lot at the time that nobody really knew personally, had some deaths in the family mm -hmm. and there was an incident I was involved in and I hit it because I couldn't be, I was a big man on campus and I didn't mm. tell anybody until it got to a point when I hit a brick wall and people were like, why didn't you tell us sooner? And I'm like, yeah, that's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. I was terrified yeah. that people were going to be like, Oh, he's not as manly or macho as we thought he was. He's, he's a wimp, which was not the case. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. 
Good. Thanks for sharing, you know, both of those situations, Greg and Jason. Yeah, you know, absolutely, I've, I've experienced the same thing and it's just, I think, normal and typical. So here's a couple of ways of sort of understanding it, I, I think. Number one is there's, first of all, a there is a, a cultural theme that's existed for a long time about males and feelings and uh, often from a very young age, um, uh, the, the, the male often is not encouraged to talk about their feelings. And part of, I think, some of the kind of societal sort of themes associated with this is, you know, uh, back in the days of old when men were bold, <laughs> um, it, it, there was this kind of the, the, the whole kind of warrior, provider, protector kind of theme of males uh, is is that it's you, you, you've got to stifle your feelings because if you're a warrior <laughs> and you're just about to you know like go into attack and take out take off someone's head you know you can't have feelings of empathy oh look I'm sorry I'm about to do this <laughs> to uh, to to the other person is you know etc so uh, there, there was this theme you know one of the themes of, of, of sort of keeping feelings uh, somewhat stifled you know don't really go there uh, you know the stoic theme you know they they really experiment with that whole theme of you know suppressing emotions etc so we know that that fundamentally is a not intelligent thing to do it's incredibly valuable to actually connect with feelings and I'll, I'll come back to this kind of later on the other theme I think that is really relevant for us as males is that um, is is this theme if if like if 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 you bust a body part, uh, you know you bust your knee, bust your ankle, etc. Then it's really painful and it hurts, and 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 we will feel physically weak as a consequence of that. But we don't necessarily attach that physical weakness with our identity. So if you guys ever busted a body part, yeah, I broke my leg. Yep. Yeah, and and so you would have, I doubt, uh, Greg, if you would have then, um, sorry, Jason, that you would have then kind of uh, uh, identified yourself as a weak man uh, with a busted leg. Would that be true? Yeah, and I walked on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably not the best example, Bill, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I do pain and it kept going. And, you know, in fact, uh, my identity is I can, you know, get through this pain. But the point I want to make is that what happens when we experience emotional um, um, pain and when we deal with sort of things that are really uh, difficult for us emotionally, uh, so, for example, a relationship break breakup or someone that we really love uh, has died, uh, so we're grieving and we're feeling really emotionally weak as a consequence of the grief, then what often happens is that then that emotional pain uh, of weakness then will often get attached to our identity. And this is this is really, really difficult. So, for example, in Australia, and I'm going to go into a pretty tough, tough topic kind of immediately. In Australia, uh, there's an incredibly good organisation called Beyond Blue, and one of the things that they identified is that when when we when 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 we struggle at times with really difficult thoughts, and our thoughts go to the place of you know I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I don't want to live anymore. Those thoughts are highly correlated with uh, struggling with a lot of really difficult emotional pain, particularly significant loss experiences. And what happens is that we have the the feelings of of, of the loss, and then we have our you know who we are and if we don't separate those things uh then we essentially tie them together so for example um parenting really good parenting 101 is to be able to kind of separate the behavior from the person when parents don't do that uh so the child does bad behavior which is you know just part of the learning experience if the parents don't separate bad behavior from from the child, they go, bad behavior, bad child. And so, you know, we grow up with, you know, these aspects of, you know, we're not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the parent will go, you know, I don't like the behavior, but I still love you. And um, 
and and then so if we don't have that separation around really difficult situations you know i'm really struggling with this very difficult situation and that doesn't make me a weak man i can still talk about it then that's that's the ideal but it, it, it's it's often really hard to do to feel safe and that's why with safe conversations it's 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 the whole theme is that we all under, that we all understand that we're all struggling and that we are, are safe uh, we make it safe uh, to talk uh, to to each other so you're not trying to judge trying to give advice trying to tell the other person what to do does that make sense that that makes total sense because that leads right into what safe means as an acronym right so mm. you, you wrote the book around you know an acronym really but you know, so what is, uh, for our listeners out there, Bill, what is SAFE as an acronym in your words? Yep, yep. So the, it, it's all very well to kind of say, yeah, okay, you know, how do I create safety? Well, first of all, uh, so SAFE is the acronym for uh, self and other awareness. Uh, that's, uh, that's the S. The A is acknowledge and ask. The F is focus on listening. And the E is empower. And so, uh, first of all, uh, having the self-awareness, like if you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're busy, if you've got stuff going on, then sure, you're not in an ideal place to be able to have a safe conversation. And that's, that's okay. You know, um, that, that's just kind of the way it is. So having that self-awareness, okay, settle down or just be, be mindful and then be other aware that just of, of what they might be struggling with. And then uh, the, the really important distinction here is that a safe conversation is an empathy conversation versus um, sympathy. So the distinction between empathy and sympathy is critically important. Uh, acknowledge what the other person might be going through, asking appropriate gentle questions, and focus on uh, listening is that Often we can fall into the trap of thinking that I've got to help you by trying to give you advice, solve your problem, don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and then the empower is, empower is a really uh, subtle skill uh, for us as humans that you, when having a conversation with someone that you're listening for some inherent strength or capability that they have that you can then reflect back to them in a genuine, authentic way that gives them something to um, recognize about themselves, a strength about themselves in the context of the situation, which is incredibly uh, powerful, a very subtle, but very powerful gift that we can give to another human being. So Bill, I've been told that I'm intimidating. Okay. How, mm -hmm. uh, how would I, how would I, what would I do to, to feel not as intimidating to uh, a, a person that that's interesting it, it'd be interesting to understand um see, see every strength is also a shortcoming and it, it could be perceived that your intimidation would be your energy and enthusiasm to actually really care and and really want to help and support so you could theoretically come across as intimidating because you've actually put too much energy from you into the the the, the conversation with the other person. Um, does that make any sense? Is that kind of relevant? That makes sense. <laughs> Man, I had an interaction um, with that literally on Friday. I yeah, I did too. Yeah. It, it's 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 so. I do see how the energy would come across negatively, even though I'm trying to be a positive influence. Absolutely. Oh yeah, ab absolutely. So, um, so having the, in a sense, the self-awareness that, that yeah, just who I am is I'm a pretty, uh, the I in, in this case being you, uh, that, that yeah, I'm a pretty caring guy. I'm an energetic guy. And then if you don't have the self-awareness is you kind of need to, you know, pick who it is you're talking to. You need to back your energy um, off. So you actually, you know, like a seesaw, you're actually elevating the other person 
uh, in, into the conversation. That way, then that they won't perceive you as intimidating because you're you, you haven't got that seesaw imbalance of, of too much of your energy. Gotcha. So, um, can you explain to me what task focused conversations are versus person centered conversations are? Yep, very good. So, um, again, safe conversations, as per the title, is for work and life. So. Both in a, uh, uh, um, a work context, for example, task focus is is specifically predominantly, you know, everything that, you know, a, a manager, team leader, supervisor, you know, needs to be focusing on. You know, so management is fundamentally uh, about resources uh, in business. The managers organise resources, tell people what to do, you know, manage schedules and budgets and time, etc. Leadership um, in, in an organization is then essentially the management of uh, people, which starts with management of self. And so uh, a task-focused conversation is, as I said, you know, focused on resources. The uh, safe conversations is, is then the uh, times when managers need to connect in and have conversations with their, their team, their people, uh, the, uh, about them, themselves, you know, um, and, and I'll touch on in a moment sort of how to actually, you know, have that conversation. But a person-centered conversation is focusing on the person. So, so for example, in, in a pretty typical kind of uh, work, work situation, um, let's say if you guys work for me and let's say we were we're having, you know, a team meeting, mate, I'd probably do this one-on-one rather than, sort of in the group situation. But if I said to, you know, Greg, how are things going uh, uh, for you? You know, Greg works for me. Uh, Greg's normally going to respond with, yeah, mate, you know, I've got this happening and this happening. I've got this project and this is where I'm at, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a strategy, uh, a methodology that if if you want to, you know, as a manager um, and you want to actually connect emotionally with with uh with with your team member and and this is something where you know if listeners are hearing this that they're, they're just not going to kind of oh i'll have a crack at this and see how we go uh you, you actually have to you know build up relationship over time um and you can do this with family members and with friends as well but the way we get to actually to the um, um connect emotionally um if i wanted to i would then say to uh greg and how are you feeling, Greg? Mm. And so I lower my tonality and then I use a you feeling and the person's name. And that will specifically trigger, because we're we're all emotionally very wired connected, that'll immediately trigger for Greg an invitation to uh, open up or, you know, speak about how he's feeling. Now, in that moment, you know, in a working relationship, if there's a degree of safety, we've kind of done this before, there's a sense of this, you know, it's safe. And he feels like it's kind of okay to just open up, uh, then uh, he will. But if he doesn't, he goes, yeah, no, 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 I'm fine. You know, all good. And, and he'll just move away from it. But you see, if there's, if there's safety and if, He's being he's, he's received the invitation to kind of open it up emotionally. He might say, "Yeah, look, you know, one of the kids was kind of like really sort of struggling with some stuff, you know, and I was kind of a little bit worried about that. In fact, I kind of get lost my cool a little bit, so I'm kind of a little bit, you know, bothered about that. But you know, generally very good, and you know, thanks for asking. And so there's just this emotional sort of connectedness." And the whole theme of uh, safe conversations for managers is that I'm, as the manager, I'm not now thinking that I have to solve some problems here or, or, or anything like that. It's really just a way of, of, of me connecting as another human being uh, at, at that personal level, that person-centered level as distinct from task uh, level. That makes sense. It makes total sense. And I really like the way that that goes though, Bill, because Greg and I talk about this a lot about asking, not asking, how are you, 
how are you is the three worst words in the in the <laughs> English language because 98% of the people who ask that question don't give a shit how you are feeling. They they don't. They 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 yeah. want to know, they want to hear the word good. They that's what they're asking, how are you for? They want to hear the word good because that's the typical answer, right? I'm good. Okay, what does good mean? Like, this, how does good sum up anything of, of what's going on in your world? Nothing. It doesn't do anything, right? So, how are you feeling? Uh, allows people to open up more. Yeah. I, I really like that. Yeah. That, uh, well, and that that's where you know maybe language matters so much. Where uh, and it, for the listeners, go back to the other podcast we did with Bill. We talked about you know not asking questions that set it up for that answer. Yeah, hey, doing great. good? Doing good today? Well. Uh, the person's preemptively yes. already going to say, yeah. <laughs> and if somebody asks me that, I, I'm like, well, oh, you don't really care how I am. I'm good. But the word feeling unlocks so much more. So that's that's really, really powerful. I, I told you the example this morning, Bill. I actually had that happen to me here not that long ago. I had a stranger ask me, how are you? And I, I put them in their tracks because I said, what what if I, what if my kid died yesterday? What if uh, something tragic happened in my life and you're asking me, how am I? Do you really, do, do you want me to tell you that my child died yesterday? Do you want me to tell you that? They don't. <laughs> they do not want to be in that situation. So do not ask, how are you? That's the whole thing about asking, how are you? You're setting yourself up to get absolutely yeah. crushed. <laughs> because if the person across from you absolutely wants to open up and tell you how you are, how they are, you might not, not like the answer. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you probably won't act like the answer if they're being truthful. You know what I mean? Like if, if something like that did happen, you'll be in the most awkward position that you could be put in. But how are you feeling is a different way of opening up to the empathy side of the conversation. I, I love that. I think yeah. that's awesome. You see, I think part of the, the challenges there as well, Jason, is um, is a couple of things. Someone is, how are you, is just kind of a way of saying kind of version of hello. The the, the interesting things here that, that that we're talking about and that you know, I'm kind of giving guidance on is how do we actually um, um, create the context for actually um, going, going to the level of feelings and actually talking uh, at the level of feelings? So um, how, how are you feeling? And then the person's name is actually in, inviting uh, that, that connection. Now, the, the, the really important theme around this is that you then need to uh, be safe. You then need to know how to actually allow that conversation to take place. So in that, if we go back to the example, you know, and how are you feeling, Greg, in that nanosecond, he's going to make a decision is it safe for me to go there? Mm -hmm. And 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 if it is, because because he knows I've got the skills or ability or whatever, he'll go there. And here and that safety that that I that I teach in the book and in the workshops, that safety is then that immediately what I'm doing is I'm connecting at the empathy level, and so there's this really important set of skills, these empathy skills to know the distinction between empathy and sympathy. So empathy is essentially the um, empathy. So uh, if we go a little bit um, translate here, uh, the Greek M is uh, into, and the pathy is pathos for feelings. So when we do empathy, we're actually entering into the other person's feelings. Now, here's the thing that most people don't know and understand. And, and that is that what will happen is when you're entering into feelings and connecting with someone else's feelings, then you're going to feel it in your own body. Now, when most people don't have the self-awareness, what happens that they, they feel those feelings, it'll fire off their stress reaction. And if you're not aware, you'll actually then dump those feelings onto the other person. And we do self-pathy. We do sympathy. So the distinction here with sympathy <clears throat> Sympathy, the Greek sim, S-Y-M, it means similar, and then pathy. So when we do sympathy, we're, we're essentially having similar feelings. And this is why the big trap for so many people is as soon as 
someone shares something, they'll go, similar feelings, let me tell you about mine. I'm so sorry for your loss. I understand what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. So we make it an I conversation and immediately the other person is totally disconnected. So, so what we have to do with our notice our feelings is just hold them and then stay with the other person's feelings. So empathy, so being with, with them and then reflecting back. Bill Carson actually echoes in my head uh, around empathy and, and sympathy since our last couple of conversations mm -hmm. and it actually just happened to me here bill about a month ago i went to a funeral for a really close friend of mine his child passed away okay and you know how 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 stressful and how you know impactful the death of a, a child can be and so yeah. um when i was going up to him uh bill carson was echoing in my head and um so there's no way I could ever say I understand what you're feeling because I yeah mm. I don't or I understand what you're going. So I when I when I went up there to him, I said to him, I said, um, you have a lot of people looking out for you. If there's something that I can do for you in any possible way, I want you to reach out to me and I want you to be I want I want to be that person for you. And you know, so he's put his head on my shoulder, started to cry a bit. And I said to him, I said, I'm a thousand percent serious. If there is something that you need from me, feel free to ask at any time. And he's like, you know, what, Jamie, this is, that was the greatest thing that anybody, because I heard standing in the line, waiting to talk to him. I heard, Oh, I, I understand what you're going through. Or I'm so sorry for your loss. And I bit my tongue because I had Bill Carson echoing between my ears. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is true, Bill. This is a hundred percent true, true story, and it, it was all because of what you said and how you said it. Yeah. Is because is how I changed my conversation with them, and it turned out way for the better for my own personal well-being as well, and also I, I think just the way that I was perceived to him. And so, uh, you know, I have to thank you, Bill. Uh, you know, for that. So, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Um... Uh, Jason, just uh, I'll just add a, a, a finer distinction uh, as well, just to, to again, because I, I, I'd encourage that listeners don't necessarily go, oh, okay, so now I'm going to sort of adjust that to, to to your methodology. I just want to keep the options open. So, so there are two things. So reflecting back, you know, some version of, mate, you know, that's, this must be so hard for you. You know, it's incredibly difficult, you know, um and and i know that there's lots of you know care and support for you as well um you know if i can be of additional assistance for you you know and i know that, that that's kind of the direction that you were you were heading uh, as well and and that sort of strength of your personality was was really kind of highlighting the 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 eyeness of of you wanting to um um make available the fact that you know you could help him and, and and so forth and just being mindful that that's a pretty not untypical kind of extrovert uh way of kind of uh engaging uh introverts who are more sort of internalizing may sort of interpret the uh experience differently in terms of the things that they uh they could say but but the the fundamental theme is your uh, we're reflecting back essentially and staying with the person's difficulty and pain and situation as distinct from um, either, you know, trying to solve it or, or, or do something different. Uh, so, um, so yeah, spot on. That's, that's really, really nice. I, I'll give you another uh, example. A friend of mine uh, whom I hadn't seen for a number of years um, and, and when we caught up, this is a couple of years ago, and you know, in the course of, of of our conversation, he shared with me that his uh, had, his wife had died uh, after a long battle with cancer, and and I at the you know just the way you know I respond and I've been taught and and and, and the methodology is, and I said to him, you know, you know that must have been so painful for you to have gone through that really difficult experience, you know, seeing your wife struggle that way and. And really go through a very difficult patch and you know and then you know, he said yes it was and then we continued the conversation and then later on he said to me you know you know what no one 
has ever responded to me that way. They always respond with, you know, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, et cetera, et cetera. But he said, you know, you just helped me to feel connected with my experience and what I'd actually gone through. And uh, so he thanked me for that. So, yeah, so that's that that capacity to, so that's the A uh, in safe uh, of, of acknowledging uh, or what, you know, what someone is experiencing and going through. Yeah, that's awesome, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for sharing your story there as well. Um, the, the, the part in the book here that, uh, that we're at is uh, probably a part that may be most important uh, to be honest. It's, it's what signs or symptoms do people give off yeah. when they're, when they're struggling with mental or emotional wellness, right? Because, you know, that's the whole stigma around mental health is that it's kind of like a, like a hidden grenade, you know, like it's, uh, you know, nobody wears it on their sleeve. It's not, it's not something that just, you know, like you can't tell just by looking at somebody walking down the street, they don't wear a sign, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you, know, you, you have, you have listed quite a few, but, you know, maybe just highlight the top three that you think that, that our listeners would be able to identify with as to if they have a, a coworker or a friend that, uh, that is maybe struggling uh, emotionally. Yep. So the, the absolute uh, essence is another C word, uh, which is changes. And so it's being, uh, it, it's having the radar up and, and noticing uh, if, and if and, and what changes are actually taking place. So this can be relevant both in a work context and also in a, an out of work context. And and often what we've got to be so careful of with changes is is we're very quick to judge. <laughs> you know, someone uh, changes a la they're, they're cranky or they're more withdrawn, uh, then we judge, you know, how dare you talk to me like that or, you know, what's wrong with you and such and such. So in a work context, what we're noticing is where a person's uh, team member's performance uh, starts to drop off. We start to see changes. Now, in, in the absence of an in a work environment where there is no mental health safety, there's no awareness around mental health, we, we, we have the standard thing that's just happening. You know, the performance goes off, you know, low performance, bad person and performance management just happens all the time. It's, you know, it comes back to that bad parenting, uh, poor behavior, you know, bad person. So, so the same thing, you know, happens in work context. And, and often what managers will think is, oh, you know, if I, you know, I'm a nice person or if I try to connect with them or, you know, cut them a bit of slack, you know, then, oh, they'll take advantage of me. And, you know, and then I'm just giving the message to everybody that they can be total slackos. And the reality of that is that it's, um, you know, it's, it's very naive. Uh, it's very sort of shallow thinking that, you know, this is what you do if you're a command and control kind of manager. But the reality is that we, we all go through difficult stuff. And, you know, Greg's example there before where he was uh, struggling with stuff, um, um, it, it would have been seen if people kind of had their radar up and they, they, they could see the normal uh, Greg but then they could see that that things weren't uh, um, really unky dory. Then just the gentle capacity, if they had the awareness to connect in and sort of start to create a level of safety where uh, Greg could feel, you know, uh, safe to maybe open up what was going on for him. Whereas he kept it bottled up, and then it had to kind of blow up. So uh, in in a work context, it's having the radar up to notice when uh, work. So there's either so, so when when we're struggling with um, um, our challenges and stresses in life, uh, fundamentally that's the three F's. Uh, so our you know stress reaction, threat reaction, or mistake reaction is we do the three F's. We do fight, flight, or freeze. Now they translate to so when people are um, doing fight and they're externalizing their stress reaction, they do anger. Uh, blame others, attack others. You shouldn't have done this. You're wrong. You know, and in you know domestic violence situations, it's always your fault. You know, why did you make me do it? Well, you know, I didn't make you do it. You chose to do it as a consequence of your own behaviour. 
So, so you get uh, anger. And so you get lots of complaining. So in a work context, you get complaining, you get anger, uh, et cetera. Uh, and this is what will happen with change. So when change takes place, you know, people wonder why, you know, often managers wonder why, you know, people arc up and, you know, you've got lots of issues. And you, all over the world we're seeing it, you know, in your country, our country, et cetera. Uh, so, so the stress reaction, first of all, creates anger, attack others, blame others. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people that do that. Then the other bunch of people will uh, internalise. They'll blame themselves. So they do flight. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. So attack and judge and blame self. So uh, externalise, attack others or attack self. Uh, that's anxiety. And then the other A, so we've got anger, anxiety, and then avoidance is we just, our brains go into brain fry we procrastinate, we do denial, uh, etc. Et, et so when seeing any of those stress-related, stress-reaction-related behaviours, then that sets off, in a sense, the alarm bells, that they're the signs and symptoms that someone is struggling with something that's going on in their life. The underlying theme for today is change, and it's mm -hmm. not going it's an acronym for choose a mental health organization to learn about. H is help a friend. A is ask about mental health supports. N is nurture your own well-being. Uh, G is get involved. And E is engage in conversations. Right. So like you, you talked about, they change. must have read his book. <laughs> they had to have because <laughs> it, they like literally like this is, your your version of change and their version of change is the same is the same thing and you know I, I, it's awesome i love it it's uh, super cool anyway uh, we didn't prompt we didn't prompt bill on that at all and he uh he just hit on that so that's very very great uh bill thank you very much um you know here's here's one that that i, I i'm going to kind of flip to because it's it's going to it's going to impact for both work and for personal conversation or personal life is the negative impacts of social media and or the it's not just social media media social media and the advertising that we see uh, you know on tv or billboards how it can be negative to some people so you know how do you how do you gauge or how do you view the 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 social media and the media impacts on people's mental health today? Look, the fundamental business model, and this was discovered in the 1960s um, when television uh, came on stream uh, as, as the you know, very, very powerful means of um, communication and influence. And the, uh, um, you know, the specialists uh, in, in those days started to kind of really identify that um, having a negativity theme uh, would get eyeballs. And the fundamental reason, often people kind of think, oh, you know, humans are so negative. Well, like every species on the planet, you know, we were fundamentally a highly advanced animal. Uh, every species on the planet has to just survive and thrive. And so... What happens for us as humans is we take it to a, a level beyond our physical uh, survival and it goes into our social uh, survival. So it's incredibly important for us, you know, like the advanced um, uh, mammals, chimps, apes, da-da-da-da, you know, our social status, our, um, um, you know, are we loved, do we belong, um, are we respected, all those kinds of things come into play. And then, and it adds this huge level of sophistication. So, what um, what the media organisations started to recognise is that if you really uh, um, um, highlight this kind of fear based uh, uh, theme, then that drives the humans' need to have that fear soothed in some way with then some form of consumption item. So they, they, their fundamental model is fear consume, fear consume, fear consume. So you, you'll, you'll see that then um, they, they run with a model these days. It's around 70 to 75% negativity uh, in some shape or form. So, so, the, so the news, the regular news is a classic example that, that they just fill up with. They don't make it all bad because then <laughs> people turn off and not watch it at all. But it, it, it's got enough kind of in there. And I noticed with our, our news uh, out here, 
that that even if they're really low on stories, they'll then grab something stupid like a truck broke down on a on the on the M7. It's like who gives a rats? You know, it doesn't matter. Trumpet that you know there'll always be fires and there's always muggings and so there's you know all this kind of stuff. And the other kind of interesting thing that's now happened uh, with the advent of social media is that then now these um, in the past where a lot of the news uh, sources were somewhat controlled by the Murdoch, um, um, uh, you know, fiefdoms. Um, and, and others. Now it's it's pretty uh, ubiquitous and everyone can have a crack at it. And so, you know, you see influencers kind of, you know, uh, doing what they're doing. And, and so people are sort of, um, you know, trying to, um, you know, get their, you know, their interests, their needs, their mets and so forth, you know, and trying to find their identity, trying to find, you know, that sense of purpose and meaning and all of these kinds of things. So it just becomes incredibly complex. And, you know, one of the things I was just reading recently that people will sometimes think, oh, okay, I've got, you know, 10 minutes. So I'll just uh, do some scrolling, some, and, you know, it's doom scrolling. <laughs> and the thing that um, you've got to be so careful and mindful of, and this is one of the reasons I, for me personally, I recognize this many, many years ago, that I, I just really struggle with comparison. And I just compare myself all the time. And, you know, if I see this and I don't have it, and this is what happens, you know, it's been backed up by the research that in these, just these moments, you know, you're in Instagram or you're in TikTok or whatever the case may be, and you're just seeing these things and you just got to be so careful because they can be just squirting you with some either some envy, some comparisons, some jealousies, some, you know, th these sorts of things. And, and so you're not, your brain's not at peace at all. The brain's getting actually just triggered all the time. And this is why mindfulness is just so important to actually then, you know, just not, not do that. But it's interesting. I was talking to some young, um, young women on, um, on Saturday. We're at, I was at this uh, cricket match while having a chat and they both said, I can't stand being with my own thoughts. <laughs> And um, this is a real challenge because this is fundamentally uh, what's often referred to as the default mode network, which I call the default mode negativity, where there's all this rumination, am I good enough? You know what I'm going to have for dinner? You know what they think of me? You know, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. And one of the really huge benefits of doing um, mindfulness and meditation work is just over time, you know, you start with a few minutes, just starting to just slowly, 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 slowly settle down the default mode network. Because when we do that, when we can come into the present moment, so the present moment, so the, the future moment is anxiety. So when we're, you know, worried about the future and, and, and catastrophizing the future and the world's gone to hell in a handbasket and we've got climate change and the, the financial situation's horrible and there's wars horrible. So when we're all in that sort of future anxiety state, then that's really distressing. Or if we're in the past, which is, I, oh, you know, I wish that relationship hadn't have broken up or, you know, I wish I could go on a holiday or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough, pretty enough, smart enough, etc. So if we're in that, we're in sadness, grief and depression. Mm -hmm. And that's why vast numbers of people having significant demands mentally and emotionally, which we will then sometimes call mental health issues rather than coming into the present moment. And that's one of the reasons why Eckhart Tolle's work and so forth is so important about coming into the present moment so that we get out of the anxiety and get out of the depression. And they're, they're two massively different things. They get slapped together all the time. Oh, anxiety and depression. They're massively different. Anxiety is all this uncertainty about the future. Depression is all correlated with um, sadness, grief uh, and the past. And coming into the present moment, actually, then it helps us access more of the right hemisphere and then helps us to, you know, we settle down and then we can actually get more creative and more intelligent and then be able to, you know, handle relationships better. So the fundamental essence there is, yes, social media exists and you know, it's so ubiquitous, it's so massive. And the critical importance of being very smart in our thinking about it 
being very critical in our thinking about it, recognizing its usefulness and its hmm. non-usefulness, our destructiveness, and um, being in control of ourselves and our own thoughts and our own feelings. Wow, that's very well, very well put. Um, so you know, we're we're talking today with with Bill Carson about his book, Safe Conversations for Work and Life. And so, Bill, you have four levels of SAFE conversations. Okay. Why don't you explain to yep. us your your definition of your four levels of SAFE? An out-of-work context or in work, but out of work, you know, you're a mate. And I'm kind of noticing, first of all, the level one or level zero, which is, you know, just how you're traveling, how you're going. Then if I was kind of noticing that, you know, something uh, was maybe happening, uh, then I might reference, go to kind of level one, which is then reference very gently. Hey, look, you know, mate, I've kind of noticed that your normal, um, uh, you know, friendly self has, has kind of changed a little bit. You know, how, how are things going for you? Are you okay? Um, and if there's anything happening, are you, have you got resources and support? Um, and then, you know, if we do this in a, you know, caring way in which our tonality is, is, is caring, then, you know, a person's not going to be offended. So that's level one. Level two is if we were starting to see some more significant signs. And so in a work context, a uh, person might be pretty cranky a lot. Um, and I used to think that cranky people were just born that way, <laughs> but now, but now I understand that cranky people are really, uh, struggling with stuff. Uh, it often it's difficult for them because their, their cranky style, their stress reaction style is to blame others. And so they'll, they, they, it's sometimes hard to get through to them because they'll actually, you know, want to, uh, blame others. But what I've, I've found from studies that I've done in nonviolent communication is that what's happening with cranky people is that they're versions of unmet needs that are going on uh, for them in some shape or form, you know, and often, you know, we all need to be loved. We all need to have a sense of belonging and being cared for. And so, I mean, you know, and sometimes that can be happening. So you might get a, a person who's cranky at work um, just because, you know, they're quite experienced and change has been introduced and, and like no one took the time to go and have a conversation with them, you know, and if, you know, if, if Greg was the, the experienced one and, and I just introduced change and, you know, he's been around for five or 10 years and, he's, and he goes, mate, we did this seven years ago and it never worked. And like, now you're going to introduce the damn thing and no wonder he's going to be cranky because it's like, he didn't come and talk to me. You know, you don't respect me, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but maybe we're going to introduce it differently. So uh, so that's level two. And level three is where someone is really uh, struggling <clears throat> and um, they, their thoughts might be going into really difficult places. So people who internalise, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, with enormous amounts of stress in their life and loss experiences can go to a place of having suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation. Uh, and then what happens with the people who... Uh, on the other side of the externalizers with, with increasing amounts of stress and pressure that they're experiencing and loss experiences, they, they go into super amount of, you know, blame and, you know, take guns and kill people and, and things like that. So that's kind of level three stuff. Uh, that's, it's great, Bill. If, if anybody has, you know, if you self-reflect on to somebody that you know that you you heard those descriptions of zero one two three and you're like okay yeah you know what i actually i did recognize that that you know greg was kind of cranky yesterday but i just thought that maybe you know maybe somebody kicked his puppy but you know it, it's might be yeah. you know something further you know and so it, it does help saying something like do you have the resources you know that are that yeah. you need that are capable for it you know we're gonna we're gonna switch gears here just a wee little bit and just discuss how how you know physical activity may may affect your mental health yeah well and, and not just the physical activity side of it too i think on the the projection of our feelings and the projection of our emotions um even before we have these conversations, so much can be mitigated by taking care of ourselves. And we know as coaches, 
You know, somebody can only be coached if, if they're willing to be coached. Somebody will only open up if they're willing to open up. Well, a person is much more willing to do that if they're looking at their health, their mental health, their physical health, emotional and spiritual, uh, not as separate things, but they all are interconnected. And we've talked about this in the past with Bill. Um, so Bill, touch on like, how can a person take care of themselves first so then they can take care of others or be able to have uh, help given to them? Yep. Uh, fantastic. So um, personally, I think that one of the things that we all need to be just so mindful of is our own stress reaction. And um, so if we find ourselves in a situation where we're, you know, cranky, grumpy, more anxious, more avoidant, over time, it's actually to develop the self-awareness of, uh, okay, I'm in this other state because something's happened. And then first of all, to, to recognize it. So what I call ABC. So first of all, awareness. Uh, so the A of awareness, okay, being aware, okay, what, what's happening to me right now? And then it's really important with awareness and it's a classic sort of psychological kind of strategy that, that we it, uh, label our emotions. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm really concerned, I'm really bothered, I'm... You know, I have concerns around what's going on on the planet. I have concerns around what's happening in my community. I have concerns around what's happening at work. Okay, that's that's really important to uh, identify that. Uh, B is breathe. So it's really important to kind of breathe into this whole set of feelings and so forth because it's really important to, because physiologically what happens is that when we get uh, stressed, agitated, etc. What essentially uh, it's it's doing is it's triggering off our sympathetic nervous system. Uh, so uh, you know we're preparing either to kind of run away or you know to to to, to do something in some shape or form. And so this is kind of normal. We get agitated in the in the tummy, in the body, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the body will will react, and it's okay. It's no big deal with that. So breathing is really important because that's a classic way to. Um, uh, to uh, settle down the uh, sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system, which I call peace, para, peace, sympathetic stress. And, um, and, and so that's really useful. And then I've been reading uh, James uh, Nestor's book on, uh, read that recently on breathe and the incredible importance of just closing your mouth and, you know, breathing through your nose uh, is incredibly important. So I've been doing that now for quite a while, and it's incredibly helpful. And then, uh, so A is um, is um, acknowledge and acceptance and awareness of the feelings. B is breathe, and then C is uh, choose. So choose, um, how am I going to respond here? Am I going to be curious? Am I going to be compassionate? Am I going to be courageous? Or am I going to be comedic and see the the, the funny side uh, of, of the situation? That's fantastic. And Bill, I just want to touch a little bit more on the resources and kind of how to use them. And I'm very happy you brought up the ABC. Um, I've actually been utilizing that in choosing which resources I, I need for, you know, any given situation. <clears throat> I have a lot of strategies to use. I, I like meditation you know, movement, uh, you know, even judo and whatever it is. But um, I think a lot of the times an environment change can be the biggest thing where it's, okay, I'm, you know, feeling a lot of anxiety and I need to move the room I'm in, meditate or get some movement. And I think the three, the three most important to me are that eating well, uh, movement, and then sleep. Yeah, um, because if you're eating well and you're full and your body's energized, you have the ability to go to a bunch of meetings in the day and exercise, but opposed to taking our time up scrolling or on Netflix, 14 episodes in a row, your body will keep going because it's just in this like limbo. But if you filled your day with actual purpose and exercise, you get to a point where you're like, oh, I just, I crave sleep and you actually have a better sleep. So how important is setting yourself up to have that better sleep so you can be 
who you need to be the next day. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just so important, isn't it? And the research around uh, around the sleep um, it, it absolutely highlights um, uh, the, the seven hours. And I certainly noticed that in myself. I used to try to crank out, you know, four and five hours, but I'll be in meetings and I'd be just be going to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the noise is just terrible, and I just felt you know pretty exhausted. So it, it's tough, you know. I know I noticed that when I was younger. And, you know, when you're in this high performance kind of striving mode, you just want to be, you know, craving everything and learning everything and, you know, doing everything. And so you, you kind of think, oh, okay, I can squeeze down on the sleep, but it's, you know, it's pretty um, not a good thing to do because then we think, oh, okay, I can have some extra coffee or smoke some cigarettes or whatever, uh, t- take some pills, drop some ecky or whatever you're going to do to um, kind of uh, <laughs> help you uh, get along. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and the thing to kind of be realizing and, and, um, so uh, I do a meditation practice now that I, that I find to be incredibly helpful. And what I do is, is, um, I, I wake up, let's say it, it might be a five start or a six start, whatever. And then, so I'll set the alarm first of all for six, then for six fifteen. So, cause I love having a snooze. It's like, oh, you know, and like these days, you know, you can just sit it, so you set it for six and the alarm goes off and then I kind of wake up and I have a snooze and then I do gratitude, you know, I'm so grateful for my life, blah, blah. So 6.15, then I fall out of bed and I just fall on the side of the bed uh, into a meditation uh, um, pose and then you know, you know, either that or, you know, spread my legs out, whatever the case may be. And then I use probably a good, you know, you know, for me now, you know, a good 10 or 15 minutes-ish for then. Um, so, 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 so the breath, you know, focusing on the breath, uh, again, mouth shut just through the nose. And then there's, there's lots of kind of various themes that, that, that you can focus on when you, when you start to sort of develop your meditation skills. Um, just like, you know, physical fitness skills, you, you just kind of learn, you know, different things to do. But one of the things I do is what I call R and R, which is receive and release, receive and release. So I just imagine I'm receiving love uh, coming down through the top of my head and then releasing uh, out of my body, which could be, you know, cranky thoughts, could be, you know, this is not happening in my life, that's not happening, or it could be I'm releasing some form of, um, you know, pain uh, that I've got uh, in my body, something like that, just release it sort of out of my body. Or it could be like really angry with somebody, really frustrated, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just going to release, release, so receive and release. And then, you know, doing that for 10 or 15 minutes or so, uh is 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 really helpful um because because what i've learned around that stuff is it's all very well to receive um and then sometimes people you know other teachers might just talk about the release but if you don't do both then you know if you draw in you know i want this i want that etc etc and you're doing all this kind of uh law of attraction kind of stuff but if you're not releasing the uh the shadow if you're not releasing your fears you're not releasing your anxieties your angers your etc etc then all that stuff just you know stays stuck in the system wow uh bill i know we got a ton out of not just today but the book in general for the hive nation safe conversations for work and life you can find it on amazon uh if you're in australia i believe it's available on bill's website And um, Bill, it was a pleasure as always having you on talking about your book. Just uh, also, you know, if anyone sort of is further interested in, you know, beyond the book and wants to really support their their teams uh, in in workshops. So I run uh, the Safe Conversations uh, Skills Workshops for managers, teaching managers how to actually have uh, the conversations, the uh, have the empathy skills. And then also wrapped around that is uh, safe conversations coaching. Uh, so sometimes, you know, managers can be a little bit cranky and uh, might need some uh, additional help to um, minimize and lower their crankiness. <laughs> and uh, so I do coaching around that. And then also uh, run um, safe conversations toolbox talks and also 
uh, learn and chat sessions because what I've started to really identify in working with the clients that I'm working with that, um, you know, we need these conversations to be more, you know, more, more ubiquitous, more kind of out there and just nice and easy and, you know, just short conversations around, you know, you can just imagine that the safety that gets created when a manager can, you know, just comfortably run a session for about 15, 30 minutes max on anxiety or on depression or substance use or um, relationship challenges or whatever. So it just initiates the conversation. There's, there's no kind of therapy uh, involved. And then if people need additional help and support, then then they know where they can go get that with either their you know, employee assistance provider at their, at their workplace or, you know, other resources. And I think, you know, what Bell uh, is doing with their whole, you know, let's talk, uh, you know, creating safety around the conversation and that change uh, acronym, I think it's just absolutely fantastic. So good work. I look forward to our next conversation, Bill. I'll be honest. Uh, it's always great chatting with mm. you. It is. And uh, with both of you guys as well, Jason, Greg, it's delightful. Love your work, guys. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Now. Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm Nation for Bell Let's Talk Day. We're out.